Man, if that doesn't give you enough to celebrate, I don't know what does on this wonderful Sunday. Uh, welcome to you. My name is Chris. I'm one of the teachers here, and I'm just uh, excited to be with you today uh, as we are in week two of our journey through uh, the book of First Peter, where we are doing a series called Culture Wars. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can open up to the book of First Peter right after James in the New Testament. And as you're maybe turning there, I want to start by asking you this question today. Uh, what is it that defines your identity? Now just think about that just for a moment. What is it, what are the things or maybe the thing in life that defines our identity? Is, isn't it true that uh, there are so many things in life that we really look to for identity, right? It might be uh, the way that we were raised, maybe it's our nationality, the culture, the environment that we were brought up in. Uh, you know, maybe it's uh, some of the ways that society tells us that we should be identified, uh, right? Like uh, things about, uh, are we popular? Or do we fit the mold? Uh, maybe uh, how many social media followers do you have, right? Or if you're like my kids, it's the YouTube. How many, how many times has your YouTube video been played? Or maybe we find value or identity in some of the things that, that we think are important. You know, where do I work? Uh, how much money do I make? Um, you know, how, how good or bad is my marriage? Uh, how good or bad is my parenting, right? All of these things, or, you know, maybe how good or bad my NFL team is on, on a day like today, right? Anybody in here for the Rams? You, you got the Rams going today? Good. There's a few of you. How many of you are for the Bengals today, the underdog? Let's go. Yes. Uh, how many of you just don't care as long as Tom Brady isn't there, right? Can I get an amen? Uh, you know, some of us find our value in sports and athletics. I do not find my value in my NFL football team. If I did, I would be de declared a loser. I'm an Atlanta Falcons fan, and you know how that is when we come to the Super Bowls. But the truth is, I, I think that we try to find our identity in so many different things, and what happens is, is when we're looking to find value, we find ourselves doing things that we normally wouldn't do, right? And we're in a culture war. Right, The culture war would say uh, that you have to do this or don't do this or be this or be that, right? Or, or maybe you have to look a certain way or be a certain way. And you see, I think what happens is, is we allow culture to pull us or to tell us where we need to find value and identity. And sometimes when we allow culture to influence us, it begins to change our behavior. And so today what we're going to do uh, is really continue on in this theme called Culture Wars. And really what we're trying to do all throughout the book of 1 Peter is to find ways that we can stand firm as followers of Jesus Christ in an ever so increasingly secular world. In fact, uh, that's exactly what's happening in the book of 1 Peter, right? You may have uh, remembered this if you were with us last week. Peter is writing to Christians who are being faced with opposition. They're being asked to stand up for what they believe in the face of a lot of really difficult persecution. There was uh, an evil king, his name was Nero. Uh, he was a tyrant leader. Uh, he was oppressing them. He was trying to get them to worship him as a god. And he was asking them as Christians to engage in uh, many different pagan rituals. And they were being forced to make a decision. And that decision is, would you stand for what you believe in Jesus Christ, or would you conform to culture? 
And so I think what Peter is uh, trying to do in, in reminding us in the book of 1 Peter is, number one, there is nothing in this world that compares to Jesus Christ. Amen. There is nothing in this world that compares to a life-giving relationship that comes with God in the flesh, with the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And then I think what he is trying to say is that knowing that there's nothing more valuable than being in a relationship with Jesus, it then should impact everything about us, right? It should help us to stand for the truth. And when difficulty comes our way, uh, when persecution comes our way, or when we're asked to stand up in the midst of a secular uh, culture or culture wars, in the midst of calamity and difficulty and blown Super Bowl leads, right? <laughs> like, in the midst of all of the difficulty of life, we can stand and have hope because we know that this is not the end for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, right? This is temporary, this is not our home. And so what I want to do today as we're in the, the, the second chapter is I really want to try to answer uh, this question. And the question is, is this. Uh, more so than what we believe, right? What we believe is very important. When it comes to an understanding of who Jesus is, when it comes to an understanding of how we're made right with God, our belief is very important. But today what I want us to see is even more than what we believe, how we behave or how we are in a secular world really matters. And so the question is, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, how should we behave in the midst of a culture war? How, who should we be? How should we be in the culture war? And I, and I think as we dig into uh, the second chapter of 1 Peter, we're going to be really surprised on some of the things that he asks us to do. Uh, so before we jump into scripture today, why don't we pray uh, one more time together. Lord Jesus, I just ask, Father, that your word uh, would penetrate our hearts today. God, maybe for some of us as we're coming into this place, would we see your goodness to us and, and how much you love us? And then, God, would the response be that it would change the way that we behave in the midst of an ever-increasingly secular culture? Again, God, your word is living and active. Uh, speak to us and challenge us through it today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so if you're taking notes today, uh, really I think when we look in the second Peter of chapter, there's a kind of four, four uh, relationship groups or four things that we need to understand and how we should behave as Christians in an ever increasingly secular world or a culture war. And the, the first is this, is that as Christians, we need to be defined by God's kingdom. As followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be defined by God's kingdom. Kingdom. Now, uh, this, this word, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, can, can come across as a very spiritual, uh, kind of religious kind of phraseology. And so instead of me kind of standing up here and trying to help you understand what the kingdom of God means, why don't we look to a far better communicator than me? Why don't we look to God's word? And what we see is Peter actually gives us a pretty good definition of what it means to be defined by the kingdom of heaven. We find this in 1 Peter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, so if you're in 1 Peter chapter 2 in your Bibles, if you just peek up a little bit, he ends the first chapter with this. And remember in verse 17, we, we spoke a little bit about this last week where he says, remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites, he'll judge or reward you according to what you do. And he says, so you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents, right? This is temporary for us. 
And so then he jumps into what I believe it means to be defined by the kingdom of God. He says this in verse 18. He says, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, but he has now revealed him to you in these last days. He goes on to say that through Christ, you have come to trust in God and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. He goes on to say this in verse 23 and 25. He says, for now, please listen, you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. Friends, if you're here today and maybe you're investigating this Jesus, maybe you're, you're, you're here today and you're trying to understand who Jesus is, you're, you're coming to church for the first time, you're in the investigative phase, I can't think of a better way for you to begin to understand who he is than by what Peter says right here. What Peter is saying is that you have the opportunity to understand that the God of heaven, he left the comfort of heaven and he took the form of man upon himself and he stepped into a sin-filled world so that you can be in relationship with the living God. For those of us who, who maybe you're like me, you've been a Christian for you know, some 20-something years, this is the, what we base our hope and our love and our trust on the goodness of God. This is the definition of what it means to experience life change in a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is what it means to inherit the kingdom of heaven. We become a new creation and we become children or co-heirs with the king of heaven. And we receive righteousness and holiness because of who God is. You know, and I think what Peter is trying to remind them is, listen, this defines you. And, and here, here's what I, I love about this, is that Peter actually takes it a step further. What he says to them is he says, remember your old worthless way of life. Because here's what you need to understand. When, when they would have heard this, they would have realized what it meant to be forgiven of their sins. The, the process of what it would have taken to be forgiven of their sins, right? We know that in the very beginning, God created everything perfect, right? Everything was perfect. There was no sin. It was Adam and Eve, and, and they were there to govern the land, and they decided to go their own way, which is sin-defined, and do their own thing. And because of sin, it separated mankind and God. And that's the definition of sin. And so for many, many years, sin enters the world and destroys everything. And so God, a loving God, says, listen, I'm going to make a way for you to experience my presence, and so he, he brings about this process of how people can be forgiven of their sins, right? There's a high priest who goes in and makes sacrifice year after year, and it's a remembering of their sin and how they fall short, and there's sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. And he's saying that worthless process that you put your attention and your mind into is now changed forever. And do you know why it's changed forever? Because of Jesus, the pure 
spotless, perfect lamb who was the final sacrifice once and for all. And what that does, it allows us to now be in relationship, you and me, in relationship with the living God forever and ever and ever. In fact, we become a a part of the royal priesthood. We become co-heirs with Christ. Listen to what he says in in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. He says, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And listen to what he says in verse 10, because I think this gets to the question of what defines us. Where do we find our identity? He says, once you had no identity as people, as a people, but now you are God's people. Once you receive no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Friends, what this is saying is that we are chosen by God. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are chosen by him to be in relationship with him. And now not only do we, do we get his forgiveness, but we don't have to go through process and ritual and routine. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus then takes residence in us. We become the temple of the Holy Spirit, so we have a direct line to go straight to God the Father so that we can go to him for forgiveness of our sin. And the Bible says that when we do, he will forgive us. And so what we begin to understand is when we inherit the kingdom of heaven, it changes everything about us. It changes our identity. It gives us value and worth. It changes how we view ourselves. It it changes how we view the world. It changes how we view our relationships, right? It changes how we view everything. And then God gives us purpose. And so what Peter is saying is this is how you're defined by the kingdom of heaven, You become born again, a new creation, the Bible says. The Holy Spirit then resides in you. You are co-heirs with Christ. You inherit the kingdom of heaven, holiness and righteousness. You are now royalty. You are now royalty with new new passions, new purposes, and new values. And so we have this identity, and this identity then changes how we behave with every other relationship in the world. And so that really leads us to our our next point. Once we begin to understand who we are in Christ, once we begin to understand our identity, our new identity in him, and the purpose that he's given us, then it then impacts our relationships. And so what we need to be and how we need to be as Christians, the first uh, kind of area of relationship is that we need to be a light to our neighbors. Now, how many of you... Uh, have a really good relationship with neighbors. You, you can raise your hand. Like if, especially if your neighbor is here, you should definitely raise your hand because that would be weird, right? <laughs> okay, so some of us love our neighbors, right? Maybe some of us, we don't really get along with our neighbors very well. My, my son, Carden, uh, he has a friend, and we found this out about his friend. His, his friend's parents uh, were really close friends, like best friends with this family, and so they moved in t- right next door to each other. Now, how many think that's a cool thing? I mean, that's kind of cool, right? I think it's crazy personally, right? I mean, you don't want to be my neighbor. I, there's no idea. I, I would never invite my best friend to be my neighbor. I mean, I have three kids under the age of 16, and it's like World War III at my house, right? Like, literally, World War III, there's, there's screaming and crying and unpleasantries going on. Amen. Do you have kids in here? Is it just me? Like, I don't want my best, I don't want my best, I don't want anybody living by me. In fact, I'll give you my address so you know not to ever move next to me. I'm the kind of person, maybe you've heard the saying where it's like, love your neighbor, 
uh, but also love your fence, right? <laughs> like, the, your, your, your best neighbors are your, your biggest fence, right? Like, but here, here's, here's what I don't think this is saying here, because I think sometimes people come, oh, I can, I can be friendly to those in my cul-de-sac, or I can wave as people go by, but that's not at all what this idea of neighbor means. Really what this word neighbor means is that it's everyone in our life. When, when God says to love your neighbor as yourself, when Jesus said that, he isn't just saying, hey, your next door neighbor, you need to make sure that you get along with them. No, what he's saying is that this impacts every relationship that you have. Literally, this means, yes, your neighbor, but it also means your family, including your in-laws, right? This also means your teammates and your classmates and your teachers and your bosses and your coworkers. This literally means everyone in your sphere of influence, we are called to love and to be a light to our neighbors. And so what does it mean to love your neighbor? Well, I think if we go back to to 1 Peter 2, verse 9, what he says here is so important. Remembering your identity, a chosen people, royal priests, a holy nation, God's own possession. When you have that identity, there's now purpose, and that purpose, as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, I think it's around verse 14, remember he, he's talking about um, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. You are the light of the world. And so what this means is that our behavior, the way we act in the world is on display for everyone to see. If you are a Christ follower, your light is important. The way that you behave and that you interact with people, they are watching you and a city on a hill cannot be Hidden. I mean, this is something that we tell our kids all the time. Like, listen, people are watching you and how you behave in certain situations and circumstances and, and who you are when, when you're around your friends. It matters because people are watching you. You know, do we want to be a people who, who they look at us and say, man, there's just something different about that person. There's just something different about them, and I want to know what it is. And I think what's, what's so interesting here is that we have to remember the context of what's going on in 1 Peter. Because like when we, we look at this, we see great persecution, we see seclusion, like we see even at some cases death. Like they're being killed for what they believe. And so Peter is saying, listen, you need to be a light to your neighbor. Well, what does that even mean? How many of you are like, when people do me wrong, I don't think that I wanna love my neighbor, right? Maybe it's just me. Like, when, when, some, when things are happening to me, it's so much easier to say, I, I want my neighbor to get what they deserve. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> I, I want, you know, when, when, when opposition and oppression and persecution is coming my way, you know, Peter, why aren't you saying to stand firm and to battle and to fight, right, and to, to combat those who don't believe what you believe and to stand in the face of adversity and to, and to fight, 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 right? Or for those of you who are lovers and not a fighters like me, like if I'm being treated a certain way or persecuted or experiencing all of these things, why don't I just flee? Like I don't have to be here, I could just run away, right? Like Peter, why aren't you saying these better ways? Well, what he's saying is, is something so much more important to us. Listen to what he says in, in verse 11. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners, right? This is, this is temporary, to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Now, th- this is 
verse, verse 11 here is very interesting to me because what he's saying is that you're in a culture war. And he's saying in the midst of that culture war, it's going to be difficult to stand, right? Secularism feels good. Sin feels good. You know, like there's all of these things that are going on. It's easier to go with the flow than to stand for God. For God. But don't do that, Peter says. Don't, don't give in to the culture war. Instead, what he says is verse 12, and I think this is, is so important. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors, and even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior, and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. You see, what Peter was saying is when you stand up for God and you you show that you have something different, when you become a co-heir with Christ and he has changed your identity, he says, now let it change your behavior because people are watching. And what do you want them to see? How do you want them to see how you're behaving? Are you being a representative Christ of, of Christ or are you being pulled to the cultural way of the world? And I think what he's saying is saying to, to, to remember, to stand firm, to stay focused, to love God and to love others. <laughs> you know, and he's saying, you know, treat others how you would want to be treated. Be humble in the midst of adversity, right? Live in a way that honors God. And he says, be a light in the darkness. And he's saying, if you do, they will see the hope that you have. You know, I think about this in, in many of my relationships because I stand before you and, and I, I can honestly tell you that I've impacted relationships in a negative way, by the way that I've behaved, by the way I, how I've acted, you know, by some of the arguments and conversations and combative, you know, nature that, that I've gotten into, and, and this is hard to do because when you believe in something so much and the world is coming at you with what they believe and you know that it's wrong, it's easy just to combat. But you see, what, what Peter is saying is in the midst of that adversity, stand Show that you have something different. Love God with everything that you have. And when you do, it will permeate from your being. And then the Holy Spirit will give you the opportunity to speak the truth in love. And so he's saying, be a light to your neighbors. Well, then the second thing that he says in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, then behave this way as Christians. We are then called to be respectful to human authority. Now listen, before you get up and leave today. I know that we are living in a very heated <laughs> kind of, you know, authoritative environment, right? We're, we're living in a society today where it's more and more, you know, crazy. So I'm not going to ask you to get up and tell us what, you know, political affiliation you have and why. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to ask where you stand on the vaccine mandate. I'm definitely not going to ask you your view of the IRS because I know how that's going to go, right? That was supposed to be funny. I guess not. It's how I feel around this time when I'm Filling out the tax sheet, it's not great. But what I, am, what, what I think I'm going to ask you to do today as one of the pastors here at this church and, is to view what God's word has to say when it comes to respecting authority. Because, listen, I, I think that what we believe about who we are in Christ and what God has to say through his word, I think it should change the way we engage with the world, even in difficult subjects, subject matter. And so this is clearly what First Peter says. He says this in verse 13, for the Lord's sake. I think that's so important, those first three words. You know, what we do is for God. Like if God is number one in our life, everything that we do is for his name and for his name's sake. And I think that's what Peter's saying here. 
And he goes on to say, submit to all human authority, whether the king is head of state or the officials he has appointed, for the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. Now again, please remember context here, who he's talking to. (laughs) He's asking them in the midst of persecution, almost for some, not almost, for sure, to the point of death. (laughs) And he's saying, we need to, for the Lord's sake, be respectful to human authority. And so this isn't by any means an easy ask. And, And you know, it's not just Peter's perspective. This is all throughout the Bible. I think, you know, the Apostle Paul in in Romans 13, he says this, everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God and those in position of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished. He also says this, about taxes. I'm not sure if he's referencing the IRS, but he says this, pay your taxes too for the same reason. So for those of us who are struggling right now, beginning of the year, this is the Apostle Paul, it's not me. Some of you are like, go ahead and go forward, but I'm not gonna, I'm gonna leave it there for just a minute. But you know, I, I think when it comes to the society that we live in today and we hear submit and respect all human authority and governing authority, we get really uncomfortable <laughs> because we, we see the this, this stuff that's going on and, and we, we stand firm in what we believe. But, but I think what Peter is trying to say here is, listen, here's the point. When it comes to most of the laws, the laws of the land, the laws of this wonderful country that we live in, for the majority of them, we can submit to authority. I think that's what he's saying. But when it comes to anything else that goes against being obedient to God, then we stand. In fact, Peter himself said this in Acts chapter five. He was, you know, he was being, basically, they were out preaching the gospel and they were coming at him and they were being very authoritative and they were saying, you can't do this. They brought the apostles before the high council where the high priest confronted them. We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name, he said. Instead, you have filled all of Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. And listen to what Peter says, and this is important for us to understand. We should, for the Lord's sake, submit to authority, but if in any instance or situation or circumstance, that authority is asking us to disobey the word of God or God's standard, we then need to stand. And so what he says is we must obey God rather than any human authority. And so please, hear me today. I think it's important that we make this clear. There is no human governmental authority that is ever going to be perfect because of sin, right? Sin and corruption and all of those things. But we do have, to the best of our ability, a responsibility for the Lord's sake to submit to to governing authority and to human authority unless they're asking us to disobey and to be disobedient to God. Now, that's, that's human authority, and I think this also, or the government, but I also think, just a quick takeaway, this, this isn't just the government. I also think that there are other things, people in places of authority that we should re- be respectful and we should honor as well. Again, bosses, coaches, you know, teachers, parents, kids who struggle, as long as they are not asking you to disobey God. Lastly, and, and we have just a little bit of time to finish with the, the last point, I think one of the ways that we can be defined uh, as God's followers is to be connected to God's people. 
to be connected with the body of Christ. You know, how many of you have had just, just a terrible day, a day that you go back to and you remember that was the worst possible day I ever had, right? You, you set the alarm clock for, for 6 p.m. instead of 6 a.m. You get up and you're rushing because you know you gotta get to work. You put the coffee on and you're getting into your car and you spill your coffee all over your pants. This actually happened to me. <laughs> you get to work and you know, things aren't going the way that you think it should be. Maybe the, the scope of work has changed or, you know, whatever it might be. And, and so you're just frazzled all day long. And you think, man, can this day get any worse? And so you, you get in your car and you're headed home and you're so overcome by what's been going on and how terrible it is that you forget how fast you're going. Maybe you knew exactly how fast you were going because you wanted to get home. I don't know, whatever. And you get a ticket because the cop was just rude, right? It's like this day could never get any worse. And you're like, man, I just want to get home, right? Because I know for sure when I get home, at least I have my dog, right? Or, or my spouse or my kids or whatever. Because you know there's just something about being at home that's comfortable. Where? Because you can be who you are. You, 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 you can be open and communicate and you have love and acceptance and, and you have this deep connection because you have a family where you can experience healing and restoration. And, and family is the most important thing, right? And, and here's what I want us to see. But not only our personal families, but if you were a follower of Jesus Christ, we have a bigger family. We have a spiritual family, a spiritual family who are going through the same things, the same persecutions, the same trials that we have and the Bible says that we should be connected to those people. He, he ends with this in verse 17, respect everyone. I think that's important. Respect all of those around us. But then he says something very, very important. He says, and love the family of believers. You see, there's a deeper connection that we have, a deeper responsibility that we have to love those in the family of God. And then he goes on to repeat, fear God and respect the king, because I think they were really struggling with that. Here's, here's what I want us to close with today. And I think at, at times what happens when we experience the ways of this world, uh, we have a tendency to, to be seclusive, you know, to, to kind of just, you know, kind of crawl into a hole or go into the family hole, if you will, and you don't let anybody else in your life. But the Bible says that we have a responsibility to, to be connected to the body of Christ so that we can experience hope and then give that hope to other people. And so we need to get into church. None of you have this problem today because you're here. You're connecting with the body believers. But, but for other people in our life, you know, this is a calling to be involved in, in, in the body of Christ, in a small group, in a mentoring relationship, right, and in, into the family of God so that when we come to the, the war of the world, we can rally together and we can have hope and live forward. And, and listen, all of this is so hard. And, and I really want to close with this. And I think this is, Jesus is the ultimate example of this. He says in 1 Peter 2.21, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is our example, and we must follow his steps. You see, Jesus didn't come down as God and say, Listen, I'm going to give you kind of the blueprint of how you should do things. No, he said, I'm going to take the, the most suffering, the most persecution, even so much so that I didn't even deserve this. And I'm going to take it to the cross, and I'm going to be the ultimate example so that you can stand, you can love me and honor me, and that you can stand in the midst of a culture war. And it says in verse 24, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and we can live for what is right. We can behave, we can be 
Christ in the midst of a secular world. Friends, wherever you're at on your journey, we'd love to show you how to take the next step in doing this, whether it's for the first time or maybe it's something that you really need to do. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that, God, you speak to us in, into our life, even in difficult relationships and situations and circumstance. And, and God, I just pray that as we read this today, maybe there are some of us in this room that need to change the way we behave, change the way we act. Maybe we need to be more loving, more caring. Maybe we need to be more direct in telling people the message of the truth of the gospel. But God, wherever we are, we need to remember that you give us the opportunity to be in relationship with you, the living God, and to be co-heirs with you and to experience your righteousness and your love. And so that one day, God, we'll be able to spend eternity in your presence. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.